Man, what are we doing here, you and I? This game that we're playing called church. I mean, why do we go to all the trouble? I, it would be much easier if we each just prayed and read the Bible on our own. Maybe listen to a sermon online every once in a while, and, and so be done with the church altogether. Done with this relational mess, the disappointment, the hurt. I mean, come on. Do Christians really need the church? These are not sacrilegious questions. They are serious and sincere, and they demand some answers. Following the isolation brought about by COVID, as many people got out of the habit of going to church, and then fresh off the heels of a political season that saw the American church collectively lose its mind, these questions feel more pressing than ever. Indeed, they are so pressing that many former churchgoers have already come to their own conclusion. No, they say, I don't need the church. In fact, I'm much better without it. And so they've walked away. Now, one of the reasons I believe folks have been primed to draw this conclusion is because of how they have been raised to view the church. The church they've been taught can be a helpful thing for your spiritual journey. You know, a good church will offer you an array of religious goods and services that can bolster your life of faith. And so think about it this way. If you want to become a concert pianist, then a piano teacher can be a helpful thing for that journey. And if you want to network and meet new friends, well, I imagine a country club would be a helpful thing for that journey. And if you want to really get a handle on, oh, I don't know, the, the, the antebellum period of American history, well, then a good liberal arts university can be a helpful thing for that journey. But here's what always happens. The minute that piano teacher is no longer found to be helpful, the minute that country club fails to facilitate suitable friendships, the minute that school doesn't provide the education you're looking for, well then, it's high time to move on and look for something else that might deliver the goods. That's how it works. And that's how it goes with our view of the church. As long as the church proves to be a helpful thing for one's spiritual journey, then it makes sense to stay with it. But the minute the church disappoints, the minute that the church fails to offer what I need for my own journey of faith, well, then it's high time to move on. It's why so many people now label themselves, quote, spiritual, but not religious. Fans of Jesus, but finished with the church he died to form. It makes sense, doesn't it? It certainly does. That is, if you view the church as a sort of vendor of religious goods and services. It makes sense if the church is, well, you know, just a collection of saved souls biding their time until the sweet by and by. It makes sense if the church is seen as a helpful thing for your spiritual journey. It's just that this view of the church is deeply problematic 
Because the church is not a helpful thing for your spiritual journey. The church is the journey. For to be part of the church is to be part of God. Because the church is the body of Christ on earth. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The church is not a helpful thing for your individual spiritual journey. It is the journey. When the church was born on the day of Pentecost, a new kind of temple was formed, a dwelling place for God's very own presence on earth. And so just as fire fell from heaven the day that the Old Testament tabernacle was consecrated and also later when Solomon's temple was consecrated, so fire falls from heaven the day the church was born. Tongues of fire hovering over the heads of people gathered from every nation. People speaking in foreign languages, not of their own, but one to, one to each other. The sound of wind rushing all around, kind of like we heard last night, except there wasn't a storm in the sky. And the story there in Acts says that everyone was amazed and perplexed at this bizarre scene. They're trying to figure it out. They're asking each other, what does this mean? What's going on? Well, that's when Peter stands up to explain, remember. Peter tells them, don't, don't, you, don't you remember? This is what the prophet Joel spoke about. That God will one day pour out his spirit upon all flesh. That God will finally come to dwell in the hearts of his gathered people. To make his temple among us in a new way. Among a people from every tribe and nation and tongue submitted to his Messiah as their Lord. Of course, when the crowds hear this, I mean, they are cut to the heart, aren't they? So they cry out to Peter, I mean, well, what do we do? What's our response? And Peter says, you must repent and be baptized, all of you. And that is what sets the scene for our New Testament reading today. That most famous description of the early church found in all of Scripture at the end of Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read it again for you. Not because Ken did a bad job, but just to hear it again. So those who welcomed Peter's message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone. Because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together. And they had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Now, just to give you a heads up, we're going to be spending a lot of time with this passage over the next few weeks, throughout the month of August, in fact. That's because this passage is going to recalibrate our understanding of what we're actually doing here together, you and I, of what it means to be the church. Because right off the bat, right when the church is birthed into the world, we see that the church is not primarily a group of people who happen to believe the same things. The church is not, we see, a social club that people join for its membership benefits. 
The church is, is definitely not a vendor of religious goods and services that might help you on your own journey. That's not what we see at all. No. Acts 2 reveals that the church is first and foremost, here it is now, a community of practices. Practices that join people together in their submission to Jesus. The church is a community of practices. Practices that enable us to, as we say here at All Saints, share in the life of God for the life of the world. The church is a community of practices. Practices through which God's presence and God's kingdom is made manifest on earth as it is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, this is the paradigm shift I'm asking you to make when it comes to your own view of the church. That we are, first and foremost, a community of practices. 3,000 people respond to Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. They submit to Jesus, they repent, and then they are baptized. That is, what does that mean? They are adopted into this new family, right? A family that comes together around what? What does the text in Acts 2 tell us that they're gathered around? Well, a shared set of practices, right? They're devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, signs and wonders, holding things in common, serving the poor, sharing meals, and much, much more. Shared practices. According to Acts chapter 2, the church is a people gathered in allegiance to a new king, King Jesus, which means there's a new way to live, right? They're committed to producing a distinct way of life, the Jesus way of life. And they find that it's a way of life that opens up space for the presence of God on earth so that the church becomes the temple of God. Recall the Great Commission, right? Before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, Go now and make disciples of all nations. Well, how? Well, first, by baptizing them, right, into this new family. But what's this family to do? Second, you're going to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. That's the church. Again, a baptized family committed to practicing and living out the ways of Jesus together. They're sharing a common life. And then Jesus says, and lo, I will be with you until the very end of the age. He will be with this community of practices. Now, many of us have learned that the most common word used in the New Testament to describe local churches is that fancy Greek word that just rolls off the tongue in a fun way, ekklesia. Isn't that a great term, ekklesia? You might not know that that term was never religious in nature. Isn't that interesting? The, the, the term that they used to describe these Christian communities, not a religious term at all. Instead, it was a term used to describe civic assemblies, Assemblies that would meet in a city for open discussion and some debate around what? Around what legislation that would be best to enact so that they as citizens might what? Share a good and common life together. Isn't that interesting? You, know, you see the connection? By calling these early groups of Christians ecclesias, the New Testament authors are suggesting that these churches were doing something very similar. Except, in contrast... A church would gather to discern how best to live under the rule of a different authority, the authority of Jesus. 
And so they would arrange themselves around a common way of living, a common way of life centered on the person of Jesus Christ. That is what the church is. And then here's the best part. It would be through these common practices that space would begin to open up for Jesus to be present among them, just like he said that he would be. Present in the Eucharist, present in their prayers for healing, present in their cries for justice, present in their acts of forgiveness and their works of reconciliation, present in their love and care for one another. Jesus was present so that, here, I want you to hear this, so that through these common practices, the church, as we say, would be able to share in the life of God for the life of the world. We, 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 we throw that term around all the time, but the question is, how do you do that? It's by being committed to a community of practices, right? I can attest from 44 years of life in the church that the church is far from perfect. I can promise you the church is going to assuredly disappoint you. The church is sometimes not a helpful thing for my spiritual journey. But I can also attest that I have found the church to be that journey where life with God occurs, where transformation begins to take place, even if it's a painful type of transformation, and where new creation begins to take root. If you had the opportunity to be at the reception this past Friday uh, for Father Ben and his family, then you had the privilege of hearing uh, some of Father Ben's story, which was just fascinating to hear. Uh, part of his story, I think he came to Christ at the age of 14, and then a little bit later on in his life, he talked about this, this season of life where he tried to live out his Christian life apart from a community of practices, apart from the life of the church, and he described that to be one of the most difficult and driest seasons of his life. He found that he just couldn't do it. But then his story also included a season of renewal, a season of immense growth and transformation, a season when he experienced God's presence among a community of practices. That was actually years ago across town here in Jackson when he immersed himself in the life of Christ Community Church, a community of practices. And so, if this is the case... If we are truly called to be a community of practices, well, what exactly are those practices in the first place that unite us to God and to one another? What practices of Jesus are we being invited to perform in order to become more and more like Jesus? Or maybe let me put it this way, all right? When you consider your own involvement in this ecclesia we call all saints, what shared practices should mark your life? Well, welcome to our sermon series for this month. That's what we're going to be exploring over the next four weeks. If we, as the church, are first and foremost a community of practices, we need to know what those practices are. What are those practices we're being invited to perform together? We need to know so that, again, we can better share in the life of God for the life of the world. Now, at one level... I mean, this is what every sermon is about, isn't it, right? I mean, every sermon should call the church to live out their obedience to Jesus in this time and in this place. And if we're called to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us, then there are certainly a lot of practices for us to cover, much more than any one sermon series can handle. 
But what if we grouped these practices into categories that highlight those areas that are central to our common life together as a church? Areas that should mark each one of our lives, that are non-negotiable, that are required, right? What if we grouped these practices in such a way that we were all reminded of what's required for us to be the body of Christ broken for the life of the world? That is what I hope this series will accomplish. Because really, in and of themselves, these practices won't be new to any of you. I mean, we're going to be familiar with them. But perhaps when you see them as, as the heart of who we are as the church, they'll become a new kind of roadmap for you, a tangible roadmap for how we actually share in God's life together as a community. Because here's what I want you to take away. When we deepen our life in the church, we deepen our life in God. And so too, we strengthen our witness for the world. Because once again, the church is not a helpful thing for your spiritual journey. The church is the journey. And we each hop on board with this journey when we devote ourselves to a community of practices. And so, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you are committed to seeing your glory fill this world as the waters cover the the seas. And you have chosen to do so by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for and to form a new community that, that houses your very presence through the, through the Spirit. And that houses your very presence through the practices that we commit ourselves to that open up space for you to be present among us and for this world. We want to be that kind of community as a church. And so I pray that you would help all of us. Uh, experience a paradigm shift of sorts when it comes to our view of the church so that all of us can be more devoted to deepen our lives together so that we might share in your life more for the life of the world. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.